Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred at Home, Episode 14 In their retreat after the attack upon the emigrant train to which Rupert and Don belonged, the Indians passed again over the ground where they had shot down the ladder. He still lay motionless and insensible, just as he had fallen from his horse. Several of the savages dismounted and stooped over him, one drawing a scalping knife from his belt, and with the other hand by the hair. At that instant consciousness returned. Rupert opened his eyes, and seeing the gleaming knife lifted high in the air, sent up a swift but silent cry to God for help. The Indian's hold upon his hair suddenly relaxed, and the knife was returned to his belt. He had changed his mind, as he gave his companions to understand in a few words quite unintelligible to Rupert, who was indeed again fast losing consciousness, an answering sentence or two came indistinctly to his ear as sounds from the far distance. Then he knew nothing more for a time. How long, he could not tell. But on recovering consciousness, he found himself strapped to the back of an Indian pony, which was slowly toiling up a steep ascent, a narrow path winding round a mountain. On the right, a rocky wall. On the other, a sheer descent of many hundred feet. Rupert turned dizzy, sick, and faint as he caught a glimpse of the frightful precipice, the foaming stream, and jagged rocks at its base. And but for the thongs that bound him firmly to the back of his steed, he must inevitably have fallen and been dashed to pieces upon them. He could not in that first moment remember what had befallen him, and called in a faint voice upon his brother, Don, where are we? No reply, and he called again, more faintly than before, for he was very weak from pain and loss of blood. Don, Don, an Indian's ugh, and a few words in an unknown tongue answered him from the rear. The sounds were guttural and harsh, and seemed to him to command silence. Instantly he comprehended that he was a prisoner, and in whose hands, sorely wounded too. For every movement of his pony gave him exquisite pain, and now memory recalled the events of the afternoon, the chase, the stinging shot, the fall from his horse, then the waking as from a dream, to feel the grasp upon his hair, and see the scalping knife held aloft in the air, and just ready to descend upon his devoted head. Question upon question crowded upon his mind. Where were his late companions, Morton and Smith? Were they killed? Were they prisoners like himself? Or had they escaped? Had the train been attacked? And if so, what was the result? Oh, above all, where was Don, the younger brother, over whom he was to have watched with parental care? He would have defended Don's life and liberty with his own, but alas, the opportunity was denied him. He thought of his own probable fate. What was there to expect but torture and death? He remembered to have read that the Indians sometimes carried a prisoner a long distance, that the rest of their tribe might share the delight of witnessing his dying torments. 
Rupert shuddered at the thought that this was the fate reserved for him, and feeling very weak, half hoped he might die on the way to meet it. Silently he lifted up his heart in prayer to God for help and succor in this his sore extremity, and that the consolations of God might not be small to the dear ones at home, especially the tender mother, when the news of his sad fate should reach them. The last gleams of the setting sun lighted up the lofty pathway they were pursuing, but down in that deep valley at the foot of the mountain it was already growing dark. He could see into its depths as he lay with his cheek resting on the neck of the pony. Turning his head, the wall of rock towering on the other side came into view. He was bound hand and foot and could lift only his head. He seemed to have hardly strength for that, but anxious to learn the number of his captors and whether he were the only prisoner, he made an effort, feebly lifted it, and glanced before and behind him. He could only see that there were several mounted Indians ahead, and one or more in his rear, all hideous in war paint and feathers. There might be many more at each end of the line, for they were traveling single file along the narrow, winding path, but a small portion of which came within the line of his vision. And there might be other prisoners, though he saw none. Even that slight exertion had exhausted him, his head dropped, and again pain of body and distress of mind were forgotten in a long and death-like swoon. It was night, lighted only by the stars and the path winding downward, when again he revived for a few moments, shivering and benumbed with cold, weak and faint with hunger and loss of blood, and suffering greatly from the pain of his wounds. He heard no sound but the rush of a mountain torrent and the clatter of the horse's hoofs over the stony way. He had scarcely more than noted these things when again his senses forsook him. When next he revived, two of his captors were busy in undoing the rope that made him fast to the pony, which was standing stock still on level ground only a few feet from a fire of brushwood that sent up flame and smoke and blazed and crackled with a cheery sound which spoke of warmth for benumbed limbs, while some venison and trout broiling on the coals gave out a savory smell. Several warriors were grouped about the fire, one giving particular attention to the cooking, the others lounging in picture sway and restful attitudes on the grass. Rupert was quickly lifted from the pony and laid on the grass beside them with his feet to the fire. Then the cord was taken from his wrists and a bit of the smoking venison put into his hand. He devoured it ravenously and, his hunger appeased, presently fell into a deep sleep. Having first committed himself and dear ones to the care and protection of God, who is everywhere present and almighty to defend and save. His wounds had been rudely bound up in a way to stanch the flow of blood, it being the desire of his captors to keep him alive at least for a time. More mercifully disposed than they oftentimes are, and knowing that he was too weak for flight, they left him unbound through the night. Merely fastening a cord round each arm and securing the other end to the arm of a stout warrior, one of whom lay on each side of the prisoner. Rupert had noted as they laid him down that no other white man was in sight. This gave him hope that the rest had escaped, yet he could not know that it was not by death, so that the discovery brought small relief to his anxiety of mind on their account. 
Morning found him feverish and ill, his wounds very painful, but at an early hour the Indians resumed their time of march with him in the midst, strapped to the pony as before. It was a terrible journey, climbing steep ascents, creeping along narrow ledges of rock, where a single false step would have sent them down hundreds of feet, to be dashed in pieces upon the sharp points of the rocks below. Now descending by paths as steep, narrow, and dangerous as those by which they had ascended, and a non-fording stream so deep and swift, that the helpless, hapless prisoner was an imminent danger of drowning. He, poor fellow, was too ill to note the direction in which they were traveling, though he had a vague idea that it was in the main southwesterly. Beside the difficulties and dangers of the way, he suffered intensely from the pain of his wounds, and often from intolerable thirst. One day he woke as from a troubled sleep to find himself lying on a bearskin in an Indian wigwam, a young girl sitting beside him, embroidering a moccasin, their eyes met, and hers, large, soft, and dark as those of a gazelle, lighted up with pleased surprise. "'You are better, senor,' she said, in a low musical tones, and in the Spanish language. Rupert understood her. He was fond of languages, and had gained a good knowledge of Spanish from Dr. Landreth, who had learned to speak it fluently during his long sojourn in South America. Yes, he said faintly in that tongue, and you have been my kind nurse. It has been happiness to care for the weak and wounded stranger, she said in her liquid tones, though I little thought he could speak to me in my own language, for you are not my countryman, senor. Your face is too fair. I am from the United States, he replied. And you, fair lady? I am a Mexican, a captive among the Indians like yourself was the mournful reply, tears gathering in the beautiful eyes. His heart was touched with sympathy, and he was opening his lips to express it, but with playful authority she bade him be quiet, and not waste his feeble strength in talk. Then she brought him food and drink, prepared by her own fair hands, and fed him too, for he had scarce strength to feed himself, and directly his hunger was satisfied, he fell asleep again. When again he woke, it was night, the stars were shining in the sky, and he could see through the opening in the top of the wigwam, left for the scape of smoke, and by their glimmer he could faintly perceive the outlines of dusky forms lying on all sides of him, their quietude and the sound of their breathing telling that they slept. The impulse came strongly upon him to rise and flee. Captivity was so dreadful, liberty so sweet, and it might be that, though so strangely spared up to this time, torture and death were yet to be his portion if he remained. He started up, but only to fall back again in utter exhaustion. He could do nothing to save himself, and there was no earthly helper near. But sweetly to his mind came the opening verses of the 46th Psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. And silently committing himself and loved ones, all, alas, so far distant, to the care of that almighty friend, he fell asleep again. He was quite alone when next he woke, and it was broad daylight, 
bright sunbeam had found its way through the opening in the roof, and laid bare to his view the whole interior of the wigwam, with all its filth and lack of the comforts of civilized life. All was silence within, but from without came the merry shouts and laughter of the Indian children at play. Presently one pushed aside the curtain of skins, answering for a door, and a pair of wild black eyes stared Rupert in the face for a moment. Then the curtain fell, and soft, swift, retreating footfalls came faintly to his ear. Not many minutes had passed, when it was again drawn aside, and Juanita, the Mexican girl he had seen the day before, stepped within, dropping it behind her. Her sweet, though melancholy, smile seemed to light up the forlorn hut as she bade Rupert good morning in her liquid tones, using the Spanish tongue as before, and asked if he could eat the morsel she had brought. Alas, not such a breakfast as would have been served him in his own far-away home. It was a broiled fish, hot from the coals, laid upon a bit of bark covered with green oak leaves in lieu of a napkin. He thanked her gratefully, and asked if she could give him some water, with wish to wash his face and hands before eating. Setting his breakfast on the ground beside him, she went out, and presently returned with a gourd filled with cold, clear water, from a little stream that ran sparkling and dancing down the mountainside, but a few yards away. He first took a long, deep draught, for he was suffering with feverish thirst. Then, laved with face and hands, she handed him his own pocket handkerchief, which had been washed in the stream and dried in the sun to use in place of a towel. He recognized it, then, glancing down at his person, saw that he was attired in the clothes he had on when taken, and, and that, as they were free from bloodstains, they too must have been washed by some kindly hand, and replaced upon him after their cleansing. "'How much I owe you,' he said, looking gratefully at her. "'No, not much,' she answered, with shy modesty. "'Now eat, Signor, or your breakfast will be cold.' "'I must first rest a little,' he returned, with a sigh of weariness, as he fell back exhausted upon his rude couch. She caught up several deer and bear skins that lay scattered about, rolled them together, and placed them as a pillow under his head. Then drawing two small objects from beneath that one on which he had been lying, she held them up to his gaze, asking, Do you value these, Signor? Indeed do I, he cried, stretching out an eager hand, my precious little Bible and my medicine case. I am thankful beyond expression that they have been preserved to me. How did it happen, Signora? She explained that she had seen them in the possession of his captor, had begged that they might be given to her, and the Indian, thinking them of little worth, had readily complied with her request. He poured out renewed thanks as he took up his Bible and turned over the leaves, gazing upon it the while with loving, delighted eyes. An English book, is it not? she asked, watching him with mingled surprise and curiosity. Yes, he said, the book of books. God's own holy word. You have read it in Spanish, Signora? The Bible? We are not allowed to touch it. Our church forbids. I never saw one before, and she gazed upon it with a kind of awed curiosity and interest. A papist, he thought pityingly, her adventure. It was for her sake I was sent here, that I may lead her from that darkness into the true light. 
If life be spared me, I will, with God's help, do my best. She broke in upon his thoughts. Come, senor, eat. Your fish will be quite cold. When Juanita left him, carrying away with her the remains of his repast, an old squaw paid him a short visit, looking curiously at him and grunting out several questions which were utterly unintelligible to him. He could only shake his head and feebly sign to her that he did not understand. She left him, and he took up his book, but found the light was not sufficient to enable him to read, for it was a very small edition which he had been accustomed to carry in his pocket. He was hardly glad when Juanita again appeared, this time with the moccasin she was embroidering in her hand, and seated herself at his side. "'I am stronger today, Signora,' he said, "'and can listen and talk. Tell me of yourself.' to that she answered briefly that she was an orphan both parents having died while she was yet a mere infant that she had lived in the family of an uncle where she was made to feel her poverty and dependence and her life rendered far from happy that some months ago the indians had made a raid upon her uncle's ranch killed him and all his family and carried her off a prisoner to this mountain fastness that she had been adopted by one of their chiefs Thundercloud, and had no hope of any better fate than a life spent among the Indians. Too sad a fate for one so beautiful, Signora, Rupert said, but do not despair. God, who rescued Daniel from the lion's den, and Jonah from the belly of the well, can save us also even from this stronghold of our foe. I know nothing of the occurrences you speak of, she said, and I dare not venture to address any petition directly to the great God, but I pray daily to the Blessed Virgin and the saints to have pity upon a poor, friendless girl, and restore me to my country and my people, though, alas, I know not of one in whose veins flows a single drop of my blood. Ah, Signoria, replied Rupert, you need not fear to approach the great God in the name of his dear Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He bids us do so, and tells us that he is the hearer and answerer of prayers. He paused, closed his eyes, and lifted up his heart in silent supplication for her and for himself. She thought he slept, and sat very quietly, busy with her embroidery, and waiting for him to awake again. At length he opened his eyes, and asked her if she knew what fate the Indians had reserved for him. She told him a council had been held, while he lay unconscious from his wounds, that there was a heated discussion, some of the braves being set upon putting him to a torturing death, while others would have held him for ransom. But finally Thundercloud, who shot had brought him to the ground, had claimed him as his peculiar property, and declared his intention to adopt him as his son. So she concluded, you, senor, need have no fear of being slain by any of the tribe, lest caught in an attempt to escape. God be praised. He ejaculated with clasped hands and uplifted eyes, for life is sweet so long as there is a possibility of future restoration to home and loved ones. You will attempt to escape, she asked with a look of apprehension. It will be very dangerous, senor, for they are terribly fierce, these apakis. He looked at her with a faint smile. I am far too weak to think of it now. But one day, when I have recovered my health and strength, I may find an opportunity. And I shall be left alone with the savages as before, she said, with a touchingly mournful cadence in her exquisite voice. 
"'You must fly also, Signoria,' he answered. "'I think it is to you I owe my life, "'for have you not been my faithful nurse "'through I know not how long a sickness? "'Then how could I be so ungrateful "'as to leave you here in captivity "'while I seek home and freedom for myself? "'You have home and kindred, "'father and mother, perhaps, Signor,' she said inquiringly, "'the soft eyes she fixed upon his face, "'wistful and dim, with unshed tears. "'Ah,' he answered with emotion, "'the thought of their anguish, "'when they shall learn my fate doubles my distress. "'Then,' she sighed, "'better to be alone in the world like me, "'with none to care whether you live or die. "'Nay, sweet lady,' There is one who cares very much, though he has known you so short a time, he said with a grateful look, one who would feel doubly desolate were you to leave him here alone with his captors. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.